Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the third podcast in a sequence looking at the experiences of black researchers in science and technology in the UK. With me to explore some of the issues are Paulette Williams, founder and managing director of Leading Roots, and Dr. Michael Sulu, a lecturer at University College London's Department of Biochemical Engineering and the STEM lead within Leading Roots. Paulette and Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks Good for having you. us. So let me start off with you, Paulette. What is Leading Roots and why did you set it up? Yeah, sure. Um, so my background in terms of my career is in undergraduate widening participation. So I spent a lot of time doing um, WP work, which was uh, really fulfilling. I enjoyed the work. Um, I felt like, you know, we were doing something really positive and my career has specifically been um, at UCL where, you know, there's such a dedicated team and quite a big team as well. But yeah, even, you know, despite all of that work, the numbers in terms of black students enrolling at the university was quite low. Um, and I've, I kind of always felt like that didn't match up with my own experiences of my community. So, you know, definitely in the early days of WP, it was very much around sort of aspiration raising, you know, we're hard to reach group. And then, you know, my experience of that was the complete opposite where, you know, we were really encouraged to go to university, uh, a lot of demands on us academically. So I think a big part of starting Leading Roots was me trying to understand where that disconnect was. And so the first event we ran was a parents event, which I felt was kind of an opportunity to give parents access to that information to help them support their children. And it was really successful and kind of helped me to see that there was a need for the work that we're doing. And that has sort of expanded to from undergraduate, postgraduate research, early career researchers. And a common theme in what we do is really kind of democratizing information. Um, there's a lot in our sector that we just assume people know. Um, and I think that's a, a, at the root of a lot of the problems that we have at the moment. So um, in more recent years, our work has expanded to look at how we can support academics and decision makers um, when it comes to postgraduate research, recruitment, things like supervisory relationships, et cetera. And that's all off the back of our Broken Pipeline report that we published in um, 2019. So yeah, we do a lot. Fantastic. Which means you have a lot of information to share. And I was going to ask you what data, what information do we have about black researchers in UK universities? Mike, maybe I'll start with you. Okay. So I think the difficult part often with data and statistics is it can be mildly confusing what we're considering to be in which group. Um, so if we try and combine everyone, um, so we have the research-only staff, the teaching-only staff, and those that do a mixture of research and teaching. It's kind of as you would expect as you go up, you progress up the kind of academic ladder, representation drops off. So if you think about undergraduate students at universities, they're about 8% Black. If we look at postgraduate research students, that drops to about 4%. And if we look at the bulk of staff, they're about 2% Black, with a majority of those staff being at the lower grades that staff will occupy with the numbers that get to the prof professoriate being very very low. Paula anything else you want to add to that? 
Yeah, I think on that note, it's kind of, it's interesting thinking about what data we do have about that journey, but then there's a lot of data that we don't have. Um, and I think that plays a huge role in the fact that we we don't understand maybe where where the challenges really are. We know overall the, the journey for Black students in terms of the whole education system is really um, challenging. But in terms of the way that decisions are made, policies, for example, even in the recruitment process for PGR, a lot of universities couldn't tell you whether or not Black students are dropping off after they apply with their application? Is it an interview stage? Is it later on? So I think just having this sort of more granular level data as well is what will really help to create a a fuller picture of what's happening. Well, another area of granularity I wanted to ask you about is disciplinary. And and you've painted a very um, bleak picture about drop-off as as people go up through the academic ranks. But do we see any differences across research disciplines? Are there differences, I don't know, between natural sciences or engineering or arts and humanities? Yeah, there's a very definite drop-off, as we've discussed. And then I think the disciplines split depending on whether or not you're talking about staff or students students they're probably like 50 50 ish science versus non-science but there are elements of the non-science where there's a very definite underrepresentation, which would really broadly fall into the arts and humanities and then if we think about that drop off as we progress it affects those underrepresented areas more than it does the better represented ones so there's a bigger drop off in arts and humanities than there is in stem subjects and with this better representation in STEM subjects, there's also the sense that there are a lot of black staff who are on temporary fixed term contracts versus being on permanent contracts too. Yeah, a whole lot of issues there. And I'm going to ask the sort of the overall question, and there are many factors at play, but but why is it that we end up with so few black researchers at professorial level in the UK? Why are we in that position? Yeah, I think it's a it's a combination of so many different things, like you kind of hinted at there. I think some of the things that we're having discussions about at Leading Roots more recently is, I guess, kind of, um, well, Jason Arde, one of our social science lead and professor at Glasgow, um, has done a lot of research into what Mike's just said about the precarious contracts. So it means that we don't get a lot, lot of opportunities. It, it impacts our career progression when we're sort of within academia we also spend a lot of time many of us not all of us but many of us doing EDI work right we're doing work because people know that we're passionate about it and we have a vested interest and we want to see change but then that work isn't valued really by the academy in a really strange way unless it's for them to report on how much great work that they're doing (laughs) It doesn't necessarily help careers. And of course, you know, there is racism, whether that's over or covert or unconscious or however you want to kind of um, label it. There is racism within the workplace that means that people don't feel that they belong. They're not getting opportunities. They're overlooked. And I've heard some really strange things in terms of, you know, kind of assumptions about black academics oh you know maybe they just don't want to (laughs) don't want to progress or they don't want the responsibilities and it's like why would you go through your whole sort of educational trajectory you know all of those sort of barriers that you you've overcome in order to get into that position um, in your academic career and then just think oh no I I don't really want to be a professor you know (laughs) I think 
that aspiration um, is there for so, so many. And in recent years, I think when maybe it was like 2017, no, it was before that when there was, was it might like 17 black female professors? And to say now that that number is, I don't know, I think it's 42, but to say that that number is doubled or over doubled, it sounds great. But actually that number is still so ridiculously small that I think there's just so far to go in terms of us acknowledging racism within the institution and how it plays out um, and taking the onus or the kind of um, lens off of the black academics themselves and thinking about the university. Well, let's do just that. Let's take the onus off the black academics. We've we've set out a whole series of or one problem that's created by a whole series of different things. Let's begin to look at some of the solutions and let's begin to look at some of the organizations who are part of those solutions. And let's tease out some of the different roles. And, and I want to start, I guess, with research funders. So I'm thinking UKRI, I'm thinking the different research councils, uh, I'm thinking sort of large research charities like the Wellcome Trust, Cancer Research UK, people like that. What's their role in moving things forward in a positive way? Yeah, I think one of the things that we found during our roundtable discussion um, that led to the uh, Broken Pipeline report was that there was this kind of shift in, in blame almost in terms of who was responsible for this. Even just, you know, where does it sit? You know, <laughs> most organisations, where does it sit? And it, it kind of obviously didn't sit under the, the access and participation plans within the university. And then because obviously there's, you know, these collaborative sort of joint funding, then there was questions about, you know, who then would be responsible for it. Then UKRI were kind of saying that they had given the green light to institutions to, you know, make decisions about any changes they wanted. But yet the university was saying that they didn't feel like they had that that um, ability to make those decisions. So in answer to your question, Gavin, um, <laughs> I think there is some clarity around it now where I think UKRI or Research England have said, yep, universities can make these decisions around things like, for example, positive action um, um, and funding more broadly. But I think beyond just who's making the decisions, I think it's important as well to understand why they're making those decisions and to ask the question of whether they understand why they're making decisions. So some of the work that we've been doing in terms of training is getting people to actually unpick why you're making decisions around uh, your recruitment practices that are rooted in ideas of meritocracy and excellence and that discriminate against people naturally because of their past experiences um, in education. So those conversations are really, really difficult because on the one hand, you have people coming with us on that journey and understanding that, yeah, this is kind of wrong. But on the other other hand, just really finding it difficult to change their behavior <laughs> and change those practices. So I think at the root of that, us really challenging that and making, making people feel comfortable about making decisions based on their understanding or a renewed understanding of meritocracy um, and excellence means that later on, whether it's to do with PGR recruitment or it could be to do with any policy that you put in place within the university, you have that in mind, right? So regardless of whether or not there's a Black person in the room or an EDI rep in the room, you will always think, right, is this fair? Is this equitable? And then sort of making decisions based on that. 
And I think from what you said, we've blurred over the line, which is absolutely fine, between the research funders and the people who are funded, i.e. the universities. And it'd be interesting to tease out a little bit some of the issues within universities, some of which are to do, I say, with recruitment, some will be to do with promotion, some will be to do with just culture. And what is happening in UK universities? What are the issues? And and where are we seeing improvement and, and a good direction of travel, if if anywhere? So I think UK universities probably broadly mirror like society as a whole. And in what you get is with respect to any kind of identity um, issue, whether it be race or gender, etc. Like an increasing awareness, but also an increasing kind of polarity between sides. I think that when we refocus on race, there is a sense within institutions that like one of the worst things you can be called is a racist. There's a difference between it being a verb and a noun. And I think often there are people who are definitely racists. There are people who do things that are racist or could be construed as racist. And people conflate all of those things. And therefore, it becomes very difficult to be to call out people because they become immediately very defensive because it, it's seen as one of the worst things you can do. And I think that sense means that there is always going to be a lack of kind of psychological safety within an institution for an, any individual. And that usually leads to a lack of job safety. I think one of the reasons why people would leave academia after being in it for a while is because of that lack of safety. They will have will experienced or will see people call out issues and see the response to that calling out of issues. I also think that all underrepresented groups are hurt a little bit more by the lack of meritocracy, seeing other people progress at different rates. Also, I think that when you spend enough time trying so that for the for those of us who spend time trying to improve culture within an institution you spend enough time trying to battle to change that culture you're eventually going to get tired and that fatigue usually means that you either stop doing that work or you leave that institution and that institution could be in the broader sense not just the university you work at but like academia in total i can certainly see that it is it's very stark what you're saying I guess I'm trying to see what could be done within universities, what the leadership of universities can do. How do we change this position that that you've just set out, Mike? I mean, there are many things that can happen. I think Paulette and I are always aligned in what, definitely in one thing, which is that you need to have, when talking about race within an institution, you need to have people who are racially minoritized doing the discussion. Uh, but they also shouldn't be doing the legwork. We are an underrepresented group. We are a like a tiny minority. To do the legwork of culture shifting or culture change is too much. That should be done by everybody else. We need to think about, like the problem is with everything, it probably needs a like a root and branch review and then restructure of an entire system to make it more equitable and to try and do it piecemeal usually has small effects that are positive in locations but doesn't have an overall systemic improvement so whether we discuss what happens within an institution or we discuss the funding bodies or we discuss the um, national academies they will all need to be kind of synergistically changed so that we get a wholesale improvement but specifically within institutions i think there needs to be an ability to discuss sensitive things with people in a way that is both cognizant of the harm it can do 
for those who've been affected by racism, but also is able to address directly what has happened. I think there should be sanctions for those, not for those who have done the verb racism, but for those who are the noun racist, there should be actual sanctions for those people, which we don't really have because we have too much safety as an academic group. It's very difficult to, for someone not to be able to say that it's their academic right to believe anything. And that I think is difficult within the sector and probably one of the few places where within the UK or probably wider where that's a, a fact, your beliefs are protected in the way, and they can be negative beliefs in the way they're not outside. Um, so that kind of thing should probably be investigated. But as like Paulette has already said, there's so many things that would need to be done to make universities and the HE sector an equitable space that it seems almost surmountable. I do think as well, the, so take for example, the bids that UKRI and Research England funded, that they had the eight million pound funding competition. I think they've funded 13 projects under that to look at PGR access. So I think things like that can be a great catalyst, but I do think it's what happens after that. So I think sometimes it's this tendency for, I guess, that to be the work. Like, you know, <laughs> the work's done now. We've, we've put some money towards it. We've got people working on it. But I, I think it would be great to see, like what Mike said, a more joint up approach and then a sort of longer term strategy, which I think this area of work is definitely lacking um, from your yeah, government level. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I would only have one other thing is that, uh, often or at the beginning of the work internally the question we were asked quite a lot is why are we doing this just for race or just for black people mm. and the focus is usually because we are the most underrepresented group but all of the things that we do are to make things more equitable so we'll improve things for everyone who is underrepresented rather than it just being in we want to put more black people in academia that is something we want because we're not here but the policies that we would suggest would benefit equity across the board. And it doesn't have to be either or as well. It yeah. can just be and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely right. And what you've both described is, is a whole system which has the funders and the universities. You also mentioned the National Academies. And Paulette, you also mentioned government as people who have a, a role in this and somehow or other joining up those pieces is quite difficult and and i'm just wondering where you think some of that joining up might happen uh i mean are we looking for uh you know a big push from government uh are, is there a role for say the national academies royal society royal academy engineering and so on to sort of stand in the middle and 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 try and push some of these things how does it all how do we do this joining amongst all the different pieces I'll let Mike answer that question, but I think even before that, I think some of the joining up needs to be done within a single institution. And what we highlighted in our report was that we have an, a, a BAME awarding gap where we know Black and Asian students are least likely to get a first or two, one Black students particularly the least likely. And then in that same university, you'll have people asking or insisting on a to um, probably a first in order to get access to postgraduate um, study. So I think, yeah, it can feel overwhelming when we look at it on sort of that 
kind of national level, but even within our own institutions, people work in these silos or these policies are created in, in silos without considering what else is going on. So I think that would be a great start. Yeah, and obviously I agree with Paula. I think to address the broader question, it kind of, again, mirrors politics in general. I think one of the problems that we have is that people are often blaming each other for the problem rather than seeking to address the problem itself. So that would be the first thing. If we all agree it's everyone's problem, we now need to move forward with some solutions. And then it becomes an issue of, do we fix everything individually in each area? Or do we try and look at everything all together, see how it fits together, and then fix that? And the latter is probably the best thing to do. But there is no kind of, like you say, Gavin, there's no kind of intermediary or there is no kind of mediator that could do that or kind of governing body that sits across everything that can actually facilitate that kind of change so with that in place that'd be really good I think it can be seen though that sometimes having a little bit more freedom allows you to do more things that's probably why it seems like Wellcome Trust as a charity a research charity is doing better than the research council when it comes to equity so yeah I think like it's obviously a really really complex problem but i think the first step is to stop trying to apportion blame elsewhere and for everyone to accept their part their role in in the issue because the problem is systemic again a very clear answer but a lot of difficulty in getting there one of the organizations that is uh, making a difference is of course leading roots so just to finish off paulette why don't you tell us a little bit what your plans are for Leading Roots over the next two, three years? Yeah, um, well, if anything, over the past two years, <laughs> I've kind of learned the difficulty in, in planning ahead. But I think one of the things we do want to do is to try and take a more kind of sustained approach to the relationships we have. We have some really great long-term supporters, UCL, Sage Publishing, the Ubele Initiative, <clears throat> that have really supported us in getting where we are. So we really want to build on those relationships or also new relationships, kind of making sure that those have a long-term impact. But I think the main thing we want to do is to really think about how we can celebrate Black scholarship. I think we've done, we've been doing a lot of work in terms of addressing these sort of issues that we've been discussing today. But Leading Roots, we are a grassroots organisation And a huge part of what we're about is uplifting our community. And I think by kind of celebrating Black scholarship and giving it a platform um, across the UK, that is something that I think will fill us up (laughs) as a team, fill us up as a community. And something in conversations that we've had um, in recent events that we've held seems to be a thing that's coming through for our colleagues as well, that they really want that sense of unity and sense of community and Um, within academia. So that's where we're hoping to focus a lot of our energy um, over the next couple of years. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly keep our eye out and see how things progress for Leading Roots and for you. That's all we've got time for on today's podcast. But uh, Paulette Williams, Mike Sulu, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks Thanks again for having us. (laughs) See you soon, Gavin. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guests this week were Paulette Williams, founder and managing director of Leading Roots, and Dr. Michael Sulu, a lecturer at University College London's Department of Biochemical Engineering and STEM lead within Leading Roots. 
The Foundation for Science and Technology is holding an event on the 7th of December entitled Black Scientists Tackling Racism in UK Science and Technology. Details of that event, which is free to attend, either in person or online, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk forward slash events. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, our journal, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.